we sing to you, God, because you have overcome, Lord. And we are overcomers because of you. Lord Jesus, you are God. You are Lord. You are King. You are Master, Lord. You are the potter, and I am the clay. God, we come to serve you, Lord, to be your servant, God. And may we submit and serve you and not the other way around. So bless your word tonight, God, as we continue to worship you as we study your word. Anoint it tonight now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And uh, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study in this book. And we come to actually tonight the last of the four-part study on the temptation of Jesus. And you remember our title is How to Win Against Temptation. This is part four. Uh, We're going to be studying Luke chapter 4 from verse 9 through 13 tonight, this last section of the temptation of Jesus. Now, it all started out in verse 1, if you remember, when Jesus was led into the wilderness, right, to battle the devil and temptation. Forty days he was out there in verse 2. And we saw that our subtitle, which we talked about, is Temptation is the opportunity for victory. Remember that, the opportunity for victory. And then we came to the first temptation there in verse uh, 3, and I believe it went to like uh, 3 to 4. And there in the first temptation, uh, Satan came to him, wanted him to use his power to turn the stone into bread. But Jesus said, hey, a man uh, shall not live by bread alone, right? Uh, and Matthew adds, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So our subtitle was, Live by the Word and Not Your Wants. And then we came to the second temptation, and that was from verses 5 through 8, where the devil took him up on this high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, offered it to him, and said, Hey, I'll give it to you. You can bypass the cross if you just bow down and worship me. Well, Jesus said, no way, I'm not going to do that. And he said, if you remember in verse 8, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve, shall you serve. And so our subtitle for the second temptation and our second study or third one there was worship the Lord and not the idols. Well, now we come to our very last Uh, the temptation, the third temptation, in our last study in this series. And this time, the devil comes in with this different strategy. You know what he's going to do? He's going to use scripture to trick you. And in a way, he comes like from behind. A historian, Shelby Foote, told of a soldier who was wounded at the Battle of Shiloh during the American Civil War. And so he was ordered to go to the rear. The fighting became more fierce, and within minutes, he went back to his commanding officer, shouting, Captain, give me a gun. This fight ain't got any rear. In other words, no one is guarding the rear. And this is what I want to put you in your minds, because sometimes the enemy, he, he doesn't come in with that frontal attack, but he tries the back door. And what I mean, he tries using Scripture against you to try and tempt you to fall into sin. So as we come into the third temptation in our final message in this series, 
Let us be empowered. And, and I encourage you guys, go back, listen to the podcast, go back and, and watch, watch the YouTube channel and, and the, the services we had on this because it, it, we're in a battle. And it's so important in what we're learning. And you know what? I'll tell you what. The devil is mad. He doesn't want us to learn these things. And especially tonight, what we're going to learn, it's very important. So let's glean from here tonight. Let's learn what the Lord is showing us and doing as an example. So this is How to Win Against Temptation, our part four. And the subtitle is this, Serve God and Not the Other Way Around. That's our subtitle. We're going to see three things, the underhanded proposal, the unwavering position, and then number three, the unescapable persecution. So let's begin with number one in our outline, the underhanded proposal, the underhanded proposal. So take a look with me here now in verse nine, beginning there to verse 11. This will be our section. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command the angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So we'll stop there. This is our first section. But we begin with how it says in verse 9. Luke Luke is writing this gospel and he says, And he, which is the devil, took him, which is Jesus, to Jerusalem. And in the devil taking him, now, was this a vision? Or did the devil actually literally take him to the holy city there? We don't really know. I I tend to lean toward that. Maybe he did because of the nature of this temptation, and we're going to see that. But either way, he took Jesus now to the Holy City, to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So he brought Jesus up, and they're on this highest part of the Jewish temple, the Holy Temple. Now they say on this corner of the temple, it looks across to the Kidron Valley. And they say that from the position they were at, that location was probably like 450 feet down into the valley. So that was pretty high if you count the temple, the temple mount, the the wall, the temple mount, and everything, all the way down into the valley. So this was pretty high up there. Now, notice the location here before we go on. Jerusalem, yeah? The pinnacle of the holy temple, the Jewish temple here. So already we see this underhanded proposal. It comes in the holy city, Jerusalem, at the holy temple. Now, we're misguided when we think that temptations come only in the bad places, places that you shouldn't be because you're weak, maybe, you know, because of that. That, oh, that, that's where Satan tempts you. But you know what? Basically, you can see here that you can be tempted even in the church. Yeah. See, it's not so much the location, right? Which it can be, of course, you know, if we're weak in certain areas and we sh- should stay out of bars or whatever like that. But it's not, it's not so much that, but it's about what's inside of us, right? And, and there's this process now. If, there's a, if you do a study in James chapter 1 through 14, 15, it tells of this process that happens within us. It begins with this internal desire, this internal desire. You know, you, 
You, you take a look at the temptation. Oh, you know, you start getting this desire. Then it goes on. It, it, you make this personal decision then. Like, you know what? I like that. I, I want that, right? Then the third thing, you come to this outward deed. In other words, the desire turns into this action. The desire turns into behavior. James 1.15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. So it's really within us, that internal desire, the personal decision we make, and then comes out the outward deed here. So in any location, you can be tempted. Why? Because you're there, right? And it, it, it starts from inside of you, fueled and, and tempted by your desire, and our flesh takes over in that way. So in any location, you can be tempted, especially, of course, in the places of your weakness, but even in places you least expect. And that's even in the church. And look at Satan brings Jesus to Jerusalem, the holy city, to the temple, the holy temple where people worship God. Well, he goes on here in verse 9. And so he says to him, he takes him to that their pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. So here's Satan. Here's the temptation. He says, you know, if you are the Son of God, you know, like if... if you're the Messiah, right? If you really are the Messiah, you know, then throw yourself down here. You know, do, just throw yourself off. Show everybody you're the Messiah. And basically what we're going to see is, is that Satan is tempting Jesus to, look, everyone will see you. You're the Messiah. A miracle will happen. And look, um, and, and you'll float down into the air and then everyone will follow you. Yeah? Just, just do that. You know, the first temptation, it was, uh, it was instant food, right? Hey, turn the stones into bread. The second temptation was, hey, here's all the kingdoms of the earth. You can have it all. It was instant fortune. Instant food, instant fortune. But here in the third temptation, it was instant fame. That's what this was about. In this underhanded proposal, the devil tempts Jesus to show everyone, you are the Messiah. A miracle is going to happen, and then everyone will follow you. See, you'll be the man there. Take a moment, turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Now, we've been going there uh, practically every week, and we're going to go here one more time here, because here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we really see Satan's strategy here. We really see the tactic, and we've been seeing this throughout our study here in the temptation of Jesus. So, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's our battle there. This is our battle and this is Satan's uh, strategy. This is his tactic. So you remember the first thing, the desires of the flesh. Well, that was that first temptation. Oh, turn the stones into bread. Yeah, eat. No, you got to eat or you're going to die. And then the second temptation was desire of the eyes, right? He was shown and he was looking at all the kingdoms of the world. This could be yours. This could all be yours. The power, the, the material, the possessions, everything, right? The position and all that. And then now, what's the third thing? And pride of life. That's what's going on here. 
Jesus, throw yourself down. You're the Messiah. Yeah, do a miracle in that way. And guess what? Everyone will follow you. So we see here Satan's tactic all laid out, really, in 1 John 2.16. And we see in this third temptation, it's this temptation toward the pride of life. You know, the same tactic happened to Eve in the garden by Satan in Genesis 3.5. Satan told him, hey, eat of the fruit. And, and he sort of like speaks out for God even saying, for God knows that when you eat of your, your, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The pride and the light there. Oh, yeah, this is for me. Oh, the, the, I'll be like God. I'm, right? You can see that pride of life going on and the same tactic is going on here if you go back to Luke chapter 4. And then he gets even more evil here. If you go to verse 10, Luke chapter 4, verse 10, he then throws this in. Throw yourself right down from here. And then he says, for it is written. Now stop right there. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound familiar? Well, yeah, Jesus said it in verse 4. It is written in his response yeah, to Satan's temptation. And then again, he said it in verse 8 in his response to the second temptation. It is written. So here's Satan now. Oh, it is written. Oh, okay. You like scripture? You, you, you live by the scripture? Yeah? Well, here, I'll give you one. It is written. So here's Satan himself putting for scripture. Isn't that crazy? So this is the back door. This is the because this is something maybe we don't expect Satan to use, but he uses it here. And he says, For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, like care for you, protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up. They'll catch you, lest you strike your foot against a stone, lest you break your bones, your feet, you know, when you land there. They're gonna come. They're going to catch you. You'll float in the air. Everyone's going to see you. They're going to say, oh, there's a Messiah. And you'll get that following. Everyone will look up to you in that way. Isn't that crazy? So the devil is tempting the pride of life. Then he backs it up. He brings in scripture even, yeah, you know, to get in this temptation. It's crazy. This underhanded proposal is the devil throwing in scripture to make it look like now this is the right thing to do. See, the, the Bible says, yeah, he's quoting scripture. Look, 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 this, this is the way God, God will take care of you. I like something um, John Phillips paraphrase, paraphrase what the devil was saying here. And I'll read this to you. John Phillips in his commentary wrote, this is the devil talking, you aren't getting anywhere. Here you are, 30 years of age, and you have no audience, no followers, no acclaim. You're not even known. Phillips goes on and says, you can be famous instantly, a celebrity overnight. Your name will be on everybody's lips. You'll be front page news. And then on this matter of the scripture, and look, look, the scripture says the angels will come, take care of you, right? Phillips writes, this is the devil now. Exercise your faith. Show your faith by casting yourself down. 
You reminded me of what the Bible says. Now I'm reminding you. You believe the Bible? Then do what it says. Put it to the test. Isn't that crazy? So the devil's like coming to Jesus saying, Have faith. Have faith. Look, that, isn't this what the Bible says? Have faith. Isn't that crazy? The devil would actually use God's holy scripture. Well, he brought Jesus to the holy city, to the holy temple, and now he brings in the holy scripture to bring it into the temptation of the pride of life. He's so evil, you guys. So the devil's tactic was to play on pride and then use scripture to make this temptation sound legit. That's what he's doing here, you guys. The devil's tactic was to play on pride and then use scripture to make this temptation sound legit. I mean, he's a crafty guy. Remember, he's a deceiver. He knows how to take truth and a lie and put it together and sell those goods, you guys. I read about um, this guy named George C. Parker. After his third conviction, he spent his last, years of, his last eight years of his life in prison. He made a fortune in swindling people's money by selling famous landmarks in New York. True story, this guy. I think it was back in the 1800s or so. He sold the Brooklyn Bridge. He sold the Statue of Liberty. He sold Madison Square Garden and Grant's tomb. He swindled people. He scammed people by showing them elaborately forged documents and deeds convincing his targets he had the rights to sell these landmarks. You can own it. I get it right here. See? It looked all legit. It sounded all legit. And that's what Satan does. He'll use scripture as the document to make it all sound legit. We got to watch out. The devil's tactic was to play on pride. Like, like probably these people. Oh, wow. I could own? What? The Statue of Liberty? Matter of fact, the story uh, that I read said that the police actually had, had approached people who thought they sold it because they were charging like tourists, you know, for, for coming in. That's the devil's tactic was to play on pride and to use scripture to make this temptation sound legit. Isn't that him? I mean, think about when, when Satan whispers in your ear and says, God would want you to be happy, Right? God would want you to be happy. I mean, the Bible said, God loves you. So you know what? Go ahead. Take, take the leap. Go out and date that unbeliever. God would want you to be happy and he loves you, right? It's okay. Or, 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 or he says, God would want you to be happy. He loves you. You know what? Take the hit. Yeah? Here. Here's some pakalo. It's okay. Hey, I heard someone tell me this one. Doesn't it, doesn't it say in the Bible, God made everything? This is what this person told me. And he looked upon it and said, it is good. It's apocalypse good, right? God will want me to be happy, right? Take this step and Satan comes. God wants you to be happy. So take that step. You know what? Do what you want for once. Yeah. Ah, stop this other's thing. You know, he wants, he loves you. He cares for it. It's, it's time to make it all about you. So you see how crafty the enemy can be. You know, sometimes Satan comes in and says, hey, God would want you to stand against injustice. 
And, and maybe he'll even quote the Bible. Hey, Proverbs 20.10 says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So go on, jump on those who treated you badly. It's an abomination. Tear into those who've been unfair to you. Stop them from getting away from it. It's okay. It justifies all your actions. God, to God, that's all an abomination and he wouldn't want that. You'll be doing this for God. It sounds legit. Sounds scriptural. But think about this. Is a holy war really right before God? We know history. Yeah, we know what Christians, or they say they're Christians, has done, right? The Inquisition and all kinds of really bad stuff. You know what? What we need to do is ask a question. We need to ask it this way. Who's telling me this? Yeah? Who's telling you this? Is it you coming up with this? Maybe it's the devil where he takes the truth and the lies and trying to appeal to our flesh? Ask this question. Is it of the flesh or is it of the spirit? That's what we got to go back to. Go back to Ephesians 4 and, and, and read that. What's of the spirit? Yeah. And read chapter 5. I mean, what's of the flesh? And read chapter 5 see what's of the Spirit. Have discernment in, 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 in all these voices. But understand, Satan comes with this underhanded proposal, making it look really good. Well, let's go on now to number 2. The unwavering positions. How to win against temptation, number 1. Recognize the underhanded proposal. But now we come to Jesus' response, the unwavering position. Look at verse 12 now. Verse 12. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now notice when Jesus comes and responds to Satan, he doesn't say it is written, but he says it is said. And I think he's, he's saying, All right, all right. Satan just quoted Psalm 91. He quoted scripture here, Psalm 91. And Jesus is like, okay, Psalm 91. But let me tell you, let, uh, let, let, let me give you another scripture here. Let me give you this. See, Jesus counters with another scripture to give the whole picture. Warren Mearsby wrote, Jesus balanced scripture with scripture to get the total expression of God's will. And I thought that, that, that is really good. It's on the screen for you guys. Think about that. Jesus balanced scripture with scripture. He took the whole Bible. He didn't just take one verse or one passage. But he wanted to give for what God's will was in all of this. See, if you take a verse from its context or use a passage without considering all the scripture... You know what? You can prove most anything. You can make the Bible say what you want it to say. I mean, that's how cults, yeah, that's their tactic. That's how they use the Bible to support what they're doing. Because they take it out of context and they make the Bible say what they want it to say. That's why studying a Bible is so important, you see. To be not led astray, right? To be, to be not tempted 
when Satan comes and mixes scripture with the truth here. And we can see here, right? He's quoting Psalm 91. He's quoting a specific scripture to go with his crafty temptation where they're standing upon this highest part of the temple, right? Hey, jump. It says in Psalm 91. You know what that tells me? Satan knows his word. Yeah, I mean the scripture, right? He doesn't believe it. He doesn't trust in it. But he knows the scripture. But he only knows it because he wants to use it to tempt us to sin. So you and I, we need to know scripture and not be made a fool by Satan. So then, Jesus goes on and he says, It is said, here, let me give you another scripture here in verse 12. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Jesus saying, don't test, I'm not going to test God's patience by using scripture to demand God do what I want. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here using this verse. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. You're, you're, we're, we're not supposed to put the Lord to the test. Jesus, when he quoted Deuteronomy uh, 6.16, uh, what was going on, remember Deuteronomy was Moses' like last preaching and teaching to the Israelites before he died. So in Deuteronomy 6, he's, he's talking to the Israelites, and he's kind of like, Hey, you guys remember, and this was back in Exodus 17, when we were in the wilderness, you guys started complaining about there's no water, there's no water. And all the people were getting ready to mutiny against me. They want to take me down as leader, and they, they were threatening to mutiny and go back to Egypt if God did not supply the water to the people. They're, they're literally dying of thirst, of course, but it was a test for them from the Lord. But they come to Moses and, and in this incident, and they basically are saying, you know what, we're, we're going to be out of here unless God does, does something. So basically, they complain. They cornered God, saying, is the Lord with us or not? That, that's what they're basically saying, and it says in Exodus 17. And so they demanded that God do something and what he promised to do is take care of them in the wilderness. So Jesus quotes and said, you know what, Moses was telling Israel, giving them some last instructions here in Deuteronomy 6.16. And he, he was saying, look, you know what, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is saying, you know, I live by this. I'm not going to force God's hand by using his own words. I'm not going to Force God's hand, corner him, saying, well, you promised God. Besides that kind of action, think about this. That would put the father as the servant and Jesus the son as the master. But remember, Jesus' whole life was doing the will of the father, not the father doing the will of the son, right? So to jump and presume on God that he will save him is to have God do your will. Yeah, not his. That's the idea. Hey, Jesus is saying, don't test God's patience by using scripture to demand he do what you want. So do you see our subtitle? Our subtitle, Jesus really is saying this, serve God and not the other way around. 
That's not what it's about. Serve God and not the other way around. Look at verse 10 one more time. Verse 10, chapter 4 says, For it is written, and he's quoting Psalm 91, and uh, 11 and 12. And in verse 11, he's, uh, Psalm 91, verse 11, Satan quotes, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. But you know what? Satan didn't finish that verse. Because in Psalm 91, verse 11, it, it actually goes on. And if you look on the screen, it says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now many believe that Psalm 91 is a messianic psalm and is talking about Jesus. And whose ways is this? Jesus' ways. And this isn't Jesus' way. It's not God's way. So it's not my way, but it's God's way we're talking about. You see, when a child of God is in the will of God, you can claim the Father's preservation and His promises. But when you demand God to protect you while you do what you want, that's called testing God. So, what we see here is Jesus will not use Scripture to demand that God serve His desires and call it faith. That's what He's saying. Jesus will not use Scripture to demand that God serve His desires and call it faith. I'll tell you, Satan is real subtle here, you know. That's why I call this the back door. That's why I call this, he comes in, you guys, and and he goes, yeah, do this. Hey, didn't God say? Have faith, you guys. Let's do it. Step out. Come on. Jump off. Come on. Doesn't the word say that? Right? But all along, is it what Satan wants you to do? Or is it what God wants you to do? Well, if Satan's telling you that, it's probably not what God wants you to do, right? So you cannot use Scripture to demand God. Well, God, you said you're going to do it to serve your, right? What you want and call it faith, right? You, You cannot do that. Jesus will not use Scripture to demand that God serve His desires, like Jesus' desires, and call it faith. Back in February 2014, a pastor named James Cotts in Kentucky died after being bit by a rattlesnake. How did that happen? Well, he was carrying a snake in the church service. Can you believe that? That was part of the service. They have rattlesnakes, and they play with rattlesnakes. And in the reason is they believe what it says in Mark sixteen eighteen, They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. It's part of the Great Commission. Jesus told the disciples to go out right into the world, make disciples, be a witness. And you know what? Jesus said in Mark 16, look, if you pick up serpents or snakes in their hands, you know, if you even drink any poison, it's not going to hurt you. So they're like, hey, Scripture says that. So they play with snakes. They're called snake handlers he got bit and he died in 2018 the pastor's son who took over his dad after he died he was bit he kept going on with this tradition and he he got bit and against his wishes someone in in the church brought him to the hospital and he, he lived i read a crazy thing in the u.s there's 125 churches that handle dangerous snakes and they even drink poison I have faith. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to die. Isn't, isn't that crazy? 
I don't think that's what Jesus meant in Mark 16, to play with snakes as a show of faith. You know, I, I think about this. There's no difference than the faith preachers, you know, where they preach that prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it. You demand God to give you things because you claim that promise in faith. Well, the Bible says, yeah, you can have that car. He's going to provide for you. He's, you can have that expensive car. You can have your house. You can have your boat. I've seen all that. It's crazy. You name it, you claim it. right? And if you don't get it, you didn't have enough faith. God's word isn't some magic little, you know, uh, word or incantation where, yeah, I put faith in, I say it, and I claim it, then it's going to happen in your life. It's not that. But you know, people like it. Why? It preys upon the lust of the flesh, yeah? The lust of the eyes, pride of life. Oh, I can have my material things, or I can have the clothes, or this and that, right? And they prey on Christians. That's Satan's tactic. The sad thing is a lot of people, when it does happen, uh, or when it doesn't happen, a lot of people get disappointed with God and leave. You may say, ah, oh, yeah, I know, those guys are crazy. Snake handlers, oh, they're crazy. Oh, name it, claim it, guys. Oh, no, no, they're, they're crazy. But you know, sometimes we do the same. Sometimes we, we, we say, well, I'm stepping out in blind faith. You know, God will provide. I'm going to go ahead and buy that car. I'm going to go ahead and spend all this money in blind faith. Because God said, Philippians 4, that he will provide all my needs. Well, I believe that. God will. But in that, in that choice, in that decision that you're making, did God say for you to do that? that that's the question. Think about Peter only stepped out when Jesus told him to come, right? What if he just said, no, hey, I'm going to do what Jesus is doing. I have faith. Jesus is right there. Jesus will be with me. And he walks out. What would have happened? He would have sunk, right? right? But Jesus said, come. Jesus gave him that go ahead. It would have been presumption for Peter to just step out, yeah? Well, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. I have faith. See, I don't believe in blind faith. I believe more like guided faith. To be guided by God to step out, even if I can't see how it's going to all work out. That's faith. Yeah? When God tells you to do that. See, God is not our magic genie. We just pull out some scriptures and say it, and then God gives it to us to do our bidding. No. You serve God and not the other way around. Well, let's go on here to number three now. The unescapable persecution. The unescapable persecution. So, how to win against temptation? Watch out for the underhanded proposal. Uh, take that unwavering position. Serve God and not the other way around. But now we come to verse 13, and we finish the temptation of of Jesus off with this verse. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So when the devil ended all the these three temptations, and maybe if he did more during the 40 days he was in the wilderness, he departed. And I like that. You know what happened? 
The devil was defeated, right? The devil was defeated. Jesus won and showed us that temptation is winnable. He showed us that temptation is actually the opportunity for victory, not defeat. Isn't that great? And so finally, the devil had enough and he left. I want you to see something real quick, just real quick. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. It's after Hebrews. Before First um, Peter. Before First John. And all. But James chapter 4, verse 7. I think this, this is awesome to look at because it goes along with what we've been talking about. It says in verse 7, James chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What did Jesus do all this time? He submitted to God. He obeyed the word of God. He stayed in submission to what God would want him to do. That man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He submitted to what God wanted, right? Not what he wanted. Not what was gained for him. He he, he submitted to God's plan to not take a shortcut, you know, to become king and bypass the cross. He submitted to God in that he was not going to test God to get God to do his will, but he was going to do God's will. God is the master. And so submit yourself there for God and look, resist the devil and he's going to flee from you. So back to Luke now. So the devil had ended temptation he departed he lost uh, jesus won here totally but it says then uh, departed from him until an opportune time though he departed for a little while it doesn't mean he's gone no i think it's it's not over here he i think he went to regroup and he's going to look for another time to really come and attack jesus so know this the devil may flee, but you know what? He'll be back, and he'll keep coming back because he hates followers of Jesus. Temptation really is the unescapable persecution because he hates us, so he's going to come, keep coming back to try and, and bring us down here. It's been said that Christian life is not a playground, but a battleground. And we understand that, right? Jesus said that you will, you'll be persecuted just like our I was persecuted. It's a spiritual battle, and so we really need to learn these things. And even though the devil flees, we need to be on guard. Andrew Bernard said, Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. I like that. Yeah. We have to be aware. So our last point is this. Be on your guard for when the devil leaves be on your guard for when the devil leaves it, leaves, it doesn't mean he won't be back again. Be on your guard for when the devil leaves, it doesn't mean he won't be back again. You know what I was thinking about today? It's like mosquitoes, <laughs> right? It seems like they're always coming back. You may spray or you may, you know, do all you can like that. And it seems like, you know, when the trades come, for me, it seems like they're, they're really not that around. But when the trades die especially after rain, it's a little humid, all of a sudden they're coming back. Yeah. And they're on that attack. They keep coming back. You know what? So it is with this. The enemy 
wants to take any opportunity to sting you with the temptations, then he's looking for those moments when the when the wind of your guard is down, yeah, when it's not there, and he will strike. So you know what? Every day, put on the armor of God. Wake up, put on the armor of God. And you know what? As we close here, as we close up here, submit to God. Get near to God. Right after it said, submit to God, um, resist the devil and he'll flee to you. You know, that's when James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God. Serve God, not the other way around. If you stay with those things, you will find that victory. I'll close with this story or, or this thing that I read. It's, that, uh, it's been observed that when a hawk is attacked by uh, crows, the hawk doesn't like make some counterattack and go into this full-on battle. You know what he does? He just keeps soaring higher and higher. In in ever-widening circle, he just keeps soaring higher and higher and higher until his tormentors leave. They can't go that high. I love that. That's what we got to do. We got to soar higher and higher in our submitted walk with God. And then we'll find this is how to win against temptation. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you so much for these past weeks and as we've been in this chapter 4 and studying your temptation. God, thank you that we see it, Lord, as an example, a model for us in what we are to do when Satan comes to attack us, to try and get us to fall, Lord, to lie to us, to mix truth with a lie, to, to appeal to our flesh, to appeal to our eyes and even the pride of life. But thank you, Jesus. We see that temptation, we don't have to look at it as always a defeat or time of defeat, but it's an opportunity for victory. And let it be that in our lives. God, I pray for each one of us today that we would hold to these things, Lord, that we live by the word and not by our wants, that we worship the Lord and not idols, and that we would serve you, God, and not the other way around, and that is a way to conquer and to be overcomers. So, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us now, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, Lord, that your presence would go with us, Lord, that, God, no matter what we go through and no matter how hard the attacks, the temptation, the oppression, how the devil is wanting us to fail, God, we know that You are there. Thank you, God. You're telling us right now, fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We look to you right now, God, and we hold on to that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.